Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of this show. This is the 11th episode of Season 7 of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Congenital Heart Defects Around the Globe and our show today is CHDs Around the Globe Down Under. Today's show is a very special show featuring two heart parents, Joanne Crisp and Chuba Ovari. I've known these two heart parents for going on 20 years. I was first contacted by a relative, Debbie Rennie, when Joanne was pregnant with her son. Joanne Crisp is a mother of three children, James, born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, or HLHS, and heart-healthy children, Tim and Heather. When it was discovered that James would be born with HLHS, Joanne and her husband, Peter, were given little hope. Joanne's sister, Deb Rennie, decided to create a website to allow Australian families to share stories of their journeys with complex heart defects, called it Hearts of Hope Australia. This enabled Joanne to make connections all across Australia. And it included connecting with Cheba Ovari, the father of a son with HLHS. Together, Cheba helped Hearts of Hope Australia to become a national, not-for-profit organization. Joanne and Cheba have been directors since the beginning and have gained the respect of leading clinicians from the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne and were even asked to be part of a discussion panel to establish a national funded center for the treatment of HLHS. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Joanne. Thanks for having me, Anna. Well, I'm so happy to finally be talking to you, Joanne. Can you believe how long we've known of each other? Oh, it's amazing. It's a long time. (laughs) Well, as I stated in our intro, it's because of Debbie that we got to know each other. So I'm so happy I finally have a chance to actually talk to you. Well, likewise, Anna. It's lovely to talk to you. Well, let's start by talking a little bit about healthcare in Australia. Why don't you tell us how old James is now and what healthcare was like when his heart defect was diagnosed compared to what it's like now? Well, James is 15 and a half years old now. He's doing extremely well. We've been very lucky. And there are many children in Australia living with hyperplastic left heart syndrome. But thankfully, now with technology and social media, we all find it much easier to stay in touch with one another. When James was first diagnosed in utero, we found it really difficult to access information about the care options available in Australia. Uh, I recall at one point we had a telephone call from a a self-proclaimed Australian expert on HLHS and he'd called us in for an appointment where he advised us that there had actually been no survivors of the surgical palliation in Australia and that if our child were the first to survive, 
he would live with no quality of life. That was pretty hard to take in the beginning. But this leading neonatologist, we thankfully later discovered through our American friends on an American email support forum, and we discovered he was wrong, thankfully. So paediatric cardiothoracic surgeons in Australia have actually been performing the Norwood procedure for HLHS since the early 90s. And thankfully these days, the success of the surgeries is far more widely known in our medical community. So now families are routinely told about their surgical options within the three nationally funded centres for the treatment of HLHS. So we have three centres in Australia. They're located in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. It's a great comfort to me to know that families are not currently faced with the same task of researching their options themselves like we were back in 2000. But the practice of having a family relocate to one of these centres really hasn't differed much since our son James was born. So for families such as ours that don't already live in one of these cities, it can mean a move into state antenatally and that can be up to three and a half thousand kilometres or 2,000 miles in your system. But they generally also have to stay until the baby has recovered from their second surgery, which is the BCPS or the Glen shunt. And that can sometimes be up to six months. So that can be tough for a family, but there's really no way around it. But with the refinements of the surgeries, certainly since James was born, the outcomes have generally improved. So it's all positive news. It is positive news. Oh, my goodness. I remember a long time ago being contacted by Australians and not really knowing very much at all until Debbie started to give us some information and realized that, yes, there was hope. I know that early on when I was contacted by people, they used to ask me, do we have to come to the United States? And I couldn't believe people would have to come all the way to the United States. But I believe a lot of people did feel that way. In fact, isn't that even something that you were concerned about, Joanne? Absolutely. And until we found out that we did indeed have surgery available in our own country, in fact, success rates comparable to some of the leading North American centres, until that point, our plan was to bring me antenatally to the US and we figured we would be up for some incredibly expensive fees and travel costs and medical charges. So that in itself was all very daunting. But in that time when we thought that was the option, we were incredibly overwhelmed by the amount of support we had from the American families offering accommodation, from surgeons offering to perform the surgery at reduced rates and from facilitators who would help us get there. So We figured that was our plan and it was actually an American cardiothoracic surgeon that said, hold on just a moment, I was forming that surgery myself in the 90s in Australia, you don't need to be coming to America and he pointed us in the right direction of the people we needed to speak to and and then things took off quickly from there. It was a big relief to know we didn't need to move to another country. Well, absolutely. And isn't it amazing, Joanne, how small the heart community is? Everybody seems interconnected. And now, with social media the way it is, don't you feel like it's even become smaller? Oh, absolutely. And there's always somebody online. It doesn't matter what time of day or night. If you have a concern or a question, you know that you're tapping into hundreds and hundreds of people. And there will be somebody who can reach out and give support at any given moment. It's a lovely place to be. 
It really is. It's an exciting time to be alive and to see everything that is being offered, to see the success rates, not only in Australia and in the United States, but all over the world. Earlier today, I talked with a mom from Puerto Rico, and she was talking about the success her son has had. And it just warms my heart to see so many children all over the world surviving their heart defects and doing so well. So tell us about the support group that you have right now and what kind of activities you do with your support group, Joanne. The support group is made up with three directors and an executive committee and we look after the running of Hearts of Hope. But we actually have about 100 members in total, which is quite a lot considering it really only started with a couple of us. And from time to time, our members will get involved with various fundraising activities or for family gatherings. But because we're spread across this vast country, we tend to only have just the one annual family gathering and we we time that to coincide with our annual general meeting and that also happens to be as close as we can make it to the CHD Awareness Day, February 14th. So in the past, we've had our annual family gatherings in Perth, in Melbourne and in Hobart, but Melbourne seems to be the city where we've gathered the most times. So families in individual cities or states can also arrange their own family gatherings and they stay in touch fairly closely in their local networks. But the URL for Hearts of Hope Australia, www.hearts-of-hope.com, Org. On our website, we have information about our activities and we send out announcements to all of our members to keep them up to date with activities such as the, the AGM and the family barbecue. And over the years, group has been able to contribute a significant amount of funding to various HLHS research projects in Australia. And we've also been able to provide medical equipment to families. An example would be the Coagicheck device, which allows families to monitor their child's warfarin levels with a finger prick in the home rather than having to rush out for blood tests all the time. And I'd say my favourite thing that we do is when we can bring a smile to a child's face just by providing a special gift to brighten their days when they're having an extended hospital stay and maybe a tablet or a device or something can really make life just that little bit more comfortable for them. That is so lovely. And those distractions can help to make the hospitalization bearable. And so for your group to actually provide some of those gifts is just lovely. And it sounds like you do so many fun things, the barbecues and the annual get-together. So what has been the biggest challenge that you've had to face in raising a child with HLHS in Australia? Well, Anna, the biggest challenge that we faced in our family would have to be the struggles that we had really, before James was born. Firstly, trying to access the information regarding our surgical care available in Australia and then also facilitating a move interstate for quite some months. And and that would be a struggle for any family even now with work and trying to meet our financial commitments back at home with mortgages and rent and what have you. But once James was under the care of the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne and right through till now currently with his medical professionals in Perth in Western Australia, we have found the medical system to just be exceptional. We're fortunate in Australia to be able to access all medical care for free through the Australian Medicare system. So we have no need for health insurance. The only thing we really pay is a small out-of-pocket fee for prescription medications. So a child with HLHS who will often 
face various delays or challenges on top of their primary medical condition can access a wonderful network of early intervention therapies and things like that wherever they're required. And in our case, as a baby, James was referred for speech therapy and occupational therapy to help with oral feeding and physiotherapy to help with his gross motor delay. So these early interventions were incredibly helpful in overcoming those additional challenges. He's also had, unfortunately, many other non-CHD related health issues. But again, we've always had access to all the care he's ever required for absolutely no charge and no difficulty in accessing that care. So we are really very lucky in Australia to have such a wonderful healthcare system. Oh, it sounds like a dream come true. Oh my goodness. Y'all better watch out. You might have a whole bunch of Americans flocking. (laughs) (laughs) No, that absolutely sounds wonderful to not have any problems and to be able to get the care you need when you need it. That's another thing that I've heard with socialized medicine from other friends is that sometimes they can get the care they need, but they have to go on a waiting list. And so they may not be able to get that care for quite a while, but it doesn't sound like that was a problem for you. Well, I think waiting lists certainly exist, but when it's something like an early intervention where that's the key, it needs to be an early intervention and and it's critical to get onto these things, they really are quite quick with prioritising those cases. So I guess an older child or, or perhaps a lower rated need would maybe have increased wait times, but certainly when they need that help early on and it's intensive help, it's there and it, it is a great comfort to know. That's a very positive note for us to end on. So we need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet because coming up next, we're going to meet Joanne's partner in crime, Chuba Ovari, and talk to him about his experiences with being the father of a child with HLHS and the challenges he's faced in helping the nonprofit organization Hearts of Hope Australia to become the amazing organization it is today. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is CHDs Around the Globe Down Under, and we're talking with Joanne Crisp and Cheba Ovari. And we just finished talking with Joanne about having a son with HLHS in Australia and the biggest challenges that she has faced in raising a child with HLHS in Australia. I am so impressed with the healthcare system in Australia, especially for children with complex congenital heart defects. But now we're going to turn our attention to Chaba. Chaba Ovari is the father of 11 children, including Joseph, who was born in 2001 with HLHS. Searching the internet, Chaba found a website, Deb Rennie ran. Joseph was transferred from Sydney to the Melbourne Royal Children's Hospital, a thousand kilometers or about 621 miles away, where he had the Norwood operation at four weeks of age. Touched by all of the people Chuba met while Joseph was in the hospital for five months, he decided to maintain contact with everyone by setting up an email network called the Australian HLHS Information Network. 
Many families joined in the following years, and it became apparent that there was so much more they could do as a group. So, with Chubba's 20 years of experience in information management for the Australian government, he set up the nonprofit company Hearts of Hope Australia as an official charity in 2004. The charity has introduced a variety of programs to assist families that have children with complex congenital heart defects, helped families financially, and made donations to various HLHS research programs, which Joanne talked about a little bit in the first segment. But we'll get a chance to talk with Chuba a little bit more during this segment to find out more. So, Chuba, I feel like I've known you forever. <laughs> But just like with Joanne, this is the first time for us to really talk to one another. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. That's okay. It's、uh, my pleasure to talk to people about that topic that's very close to my heart. No pun intended. <laughs> It's always good to share information and how other people are going. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm delighted to have you on, and I want to know how Joseph is doing now, and tell us how old he is now. Joseph's going to be 15 in October, and he's doing. Pretty well. We've had very few problems with his health and the healthcare ever since he left hospital after having his first two surgeries. We've been lucky, and it's been very smooth sailing for us, mate. Or anything like that. He has annual cardiac reviews, and again, there've never been any surprises there. And the doctors are very optimistic about you know how he's going. On top of that, he's a very happy child, and he's got such a great attitude to life. It's just he's a pleasure to be around, and he's just one great kid. And I'm so proud of him. Well, it sounds、yeah. like you have a right to be proud of him, and how lovely that he's doing well. I always love these success stories. I'm sure you're going to be providing some hope and inspiration to other families in Australia. Yes.、Um, well, when Joe was in hospital, we had the same sort of experience Joe had, and everything was all very negative sort of stuff. And did have a few older children come in there, and all 14 years of age, and that was a huge inspiration, and it helped us get through a very Right, and that's what Hearts of Hope is all about: is spreading that good news that you have and being there for families when things don't work out so well. Too, it sounds like you have a wonderful support network. We do, and we also try and cater for bereaved families as well, which is quite a difficult area to deal with. They've lost their children, and who we have a help boy that's doing quite well, fifteen years of age. But it's quite amazing. Some of the families that have lost their children actually have become part of Hearts of Hope. And in fact, one of our directors lost her child many years ago, and she's been there constantly, just helping us out. I find that a lot of the bereaved parents that I'm friends with just can't get enough of still keeping that contact in the heart community, and they feel that they were given their child for a purpose, and that purpose is to be there to help others. And to me, that has always been so inspirational. But I'm impressed, Chuba, with how all of the knowledge you had in working in information management helped you to set up this organization. So, can you tell us? If the email network still exists, and if it's operational, and how our listeners can take part in it, if it is, unfortunately, the email network does exist, but it's not utilised anymore. Facebook has really taken over that aspect of supporting families, so we don't really use it. But there is a very active Facebook group that actually does what we used to do. Well, I tend to think the email network was a little bit more personal, and people got to know each other a little bit more. But that's the way things have gone, and it's good to see that people are still seeking that support and are actually getting it. Yeah, I love how on Facebook we can share photos and we can share little video clips. Way back in the day, when 
I was part of an email network also. All you could really do was send notes back and forth. We didn't have digital cameras back then. Oh. <laughs> so taking photos and sharing them just wasn't like it is today. So things have really, really changed. Well, there are lots of parents out there, including me, who have decided to start nonprofit organizations for the betterment of the PhD community. Tell us the steps that you took to help the organization develop a solid foundation and what you're doing, Chuba, to keep the foundation viable? Sure. Here in Australia, each state has got its own regulators and legislation that governs how charities can operate. All I can say is, thank goodness, we don't have 50 states to deal with in the eight jurisdictions because there's all, all sorts of paperwork involved that has to be sent out annually and likewise when we're setting up there's a lot of work to be done. But before we could even approach the state regulators, we actually had to set up a legal entity. So we formed a company that engaged in charitable activities on a national basis. We were very fortunate that in that time and several members of our informal support group volunteered to serve on the company's management committee. They played a huge part in defining what our aims were and the programs that we've actually got in place today. Our meetings in those formative years made it clear that needs varied from state to state and from family to family. For example, at the time there was only one hospital helping children with HMHs and as Joe said, many families had to travel long distances for several months while their babies were having surgeries. Other parents were being told that there's nothing that could be done for their children. So we had all this information from the parents that were on the management committee and were able to put all those issues and programs into place, which really formed what we are today. Within a few months of the organisation actually being set up, we started to go ahead and apply for the various approvals we needed to operate as a charity and to fundraise. It took nearly two years before the last state sort of said, yes, you go ahead and start doing all these things. But during that time did actually continue our support parents through the email group, trying to raise awareness of various activities and promoting or well, asking parents to get, get it to the local media and tell what the story of their family was so that people would understand that there was actually hope for these kids. We also did some minor fundraising activities as the approvals came through from the various states. So that's how we all started and some of the challenges that were there. Well, yeah, it sounds like the challenge was getting all of the states to agree and to give you the opportunity to function as a charity. That's pretty phenomenal. See, that's where my experience in the public service came in handy. I just knew the mindset of government and knew what they needed for us to provide to them so that we could go ahead and do this stuff. So it was quite handy. Well, it certainly was. They are so lucky that they had you. <laughs> Wow. Well, it sounds like you knew how to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and get it all done, Chubba, because your organization is just amazing. We got there eventually. It takes time, and to set something up that will last does take some time, and it does take vision, not of just one person, but of a collective group like what you've done. I think you've done an outstanding job. I don't claim glory for this for myself. It's all those people that have helped us in the past, those early families, all the people that have served on committees and the board and all the people that have raised thousands and thousands of dollars to help other people. They're the ones that really deserve all the thanks, I think. Well, it's hearts of hope, and it sounds like it was a lot of hearts coming together to make it become what it is today. So that's a real positive note for us to take a quick break. 
It's time for another short commercial, but don't leave yet, because coming up next, we'll have Joanne and Chubba together in the studio, and we're going to ask them what advice they have for parents of children with HLHS or other complex heart defects in Australia. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is CHDs Around the Globe Down Under, and we're talking with Joanne Crisp and Chaba Obari, parents of children born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome and directors of Hearts of Hope Australia, a nonprofit organization providing support for families living with complex congenital heart conditions and serving people in Australia, New Zealand, America, and the United Kingdom. I loved looking at your website. I did see a note on the website that says that there's a new website coming very soon. And Chaba, I'm wondering... Can you tell us what's new that's going to be happening with the website? Sure. The website, it's very dated. I mean, I was actually doing the, putting up all the information, all that. Things just got out of hand. So basically, we won't really give it a really good facelift, business-like at the moment. We want to soften it a bit so it's just a nicer place to go and get information. As to what else we're going to do, very hard to exactly say what's going to be. What we're trying to do is make it so that visitors and members of the organisation can actually provide their own information. Again, we're engaging the community in order to provide the support and information and resources that people need in regards to HLHS and looking after these kids. Yeah, so... Will it have the same URL, Chubba? I'm hoping so, but it just depends on web designer as to how they decide to go about things. If it changes, there'll be a like an automatic redirection to the website. Okay, so remind everybody right now who's listening what the URL is so they can check it out if they would like to. Okay, it's www.hearts-of-hope.org. That's really easy. And I went out and found it. It's very easy to find. So, Joanne, you have quite a bit of experience now raising an HLHS heart warrior. So, can you share with us some advice for parents who are just now discovering their unborn child or a newborn child has a complex congenital heart defect in Australia? Well, Anna, my advice for parents just discovering that their unborn or newborn child has a complex CHD is what we've already touched on, and that is to just reach out and make contact with other families. Naturally, it's important that they listen to their child's cardiologist and be guided by them, but there's just so much support out there that's so easy to tap into with social media that nobody need ever feel alone but like we did back in 2000 when we simply couldn't even find one single Australian family that had a child with HLHS. So in current Facebook groups, as I've said, just one single question about life with a child with HLHS will be almost instantly met with both caring and sensitive responses from families that are already living this life. People are just so wonderfully supportive within the CHD community and no question is ever a silly question. So we all know that 
all babies will have a different outcome, but there is always somebody who understands what you're going through right now. And the friendships that are made through these forums will sometimes become lifelong friendships and they understand the importance of the milestones that our children reach. Nothing is ever trivialised. We understand one another's fears. We validate them. And I know myself, I never would have managed if it weren't for all the CHD family friends I made along the way, including my dear friend Chava and also yourself, Anna. We don't necessarily need to meet these friends or even chat to them such as we are today, but by golly, we can type our friendships in messages on social media and, and they're such deep friendships. But another thing I would encourage new parents to do is to not spend too much time worrying about the future. Now, I know that sounds easier said than done. We all do it to a degree. It's impossible to never be fearful of the future. But I just have always felt that if I spent too much time worrying about the future for my HLHS child, I might potentially forget to enjoy the present. So that's always been a focus for me. Lastly, my advice to all parents would be to just simply trust their instincts and if they ever think something is not right with their child they must make sure that they're heard that they act on these instincts because as parents we all know our child better than any nurse or any doctor ever could so it's important to have courage and I guess the conviction to advocate for our child at all times we must be heard so yeah that's my advice that's absolutely fabulous. You're so articulate, Joanne. You did a great job, especially telling parents to trust that inner voice. If you feel something is wrong with your child, like you said, nobody knows your child like you do. I love it. I love all that advice. Okay, Joe, but that's a hard act to follow. But as a dad, can you give us some advice from the dad's side? What men need to be aware of if they're about to have a child with a congenital heart defect? That is a hard act to follow. Joe's really said a lot of things that apply to dads and survivors of HLHS. I think my experience, I thought the best thing that I could handle was to actually embrace the situation and just go with what was in front of me in the moment and live through that. And I guess it's about grabbing the bull by the horns and giving it a good shake and just living through it and staying strong. And it's quite important to stay strong. You can't be strong all the time, but if you can show that sort of strength, and rely on the people around you can get through even the most difficult times that people go through in these situations. Basically, I think it's important to embrace the experience and live through it the best you can. I love that. And you're right. We do have to embrace each and every moment. Even the time that is scary for us, we should still embrace it because if it doesn't kill us, it makes us stronger. Right, Chubba? Absolutely. I can remember being in recovery rooms where Joseph crashed once and the doctors, they were so laid back, casual, and they were having a little joke. Here's our little boy's heart's going at 300 beats per minute. And I thought, gee, how can these people do that? And they were embracing the experience by, you know, just trying to make the situation light. And not only for us, they seemed very light-hearted. Of course, actually, like, it settled us down. We thought, oh, well, they must know what they're doing, so he'll be okay. And he was in there. Wow. That's scary, though, to see your child's heart beating that fast and to know things are not right. But how yes. good that they're able to be calm and to use a sense of humor to get you through it. I find a lot of times that using humor to diffuse a very uptight situation does help us to get through it a little bit better. 
Yes. Well, I love all of that advice. You all are just fabulous. I am so thrilled we had this radio show to finally bring us together so that we could talk to each other. Thank you so much, Joanne and Cheba, for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me on your show, Anna. I've really enjoyed it. Yes, thanks, Anna. It was great to talk to you, and hopefully we'll get something out of what we discussed. Well, I'm sure that everybody will be so inspired. I know I feel inspired by your story. Unfortunately, that does conclude today's episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time for a brand new episode. Please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And help us by sharing this information with others. We know that congenital heart defects touch people all over the globe. But remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.